So, um, we are going to be looking at uh, the letter of James. So if you guys could turn to James, um, it's in the New Testament. So flip past the um, flip past the Gospels, flip past the Eons. You get through Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, all those. Once you get to Hebrews, you're almost there. It's the one right after that. Um, and then give me a thumbs up when you get to James. Chapter one. Start of chapter one. Almost there? Oh, I didn't choose it. Aaron chose it. <laughs> but thank you. Okay. So I'm going to assume everyone's there. So I'm going to go ahead and read. Um, we're just going to read from one to 12 and then I'll pray for us. All right. It says... James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this night that we can come together one last time before a two-week break, Lord, that we can be together in community, Lord. I pray that um, that you would speak through me, God, and that um, that these students would... Uh, take in your word, Lord, and I pray that through this they can understand the joy and trials. I say these things in your name, amen. All right, so in around the mid-1800s, there, there was a man named Horatio Spafford, and um, Horatio is a pretty popular and famous guy. Um, however, he went through a series of unfortunate events, very tragic events. Um, it started when he lost his son at the early age of two, and um, Horatio was a, a very, uh, a pretty wealthy lawyer who had invested in a lot of property in Chicago, and then the Great Chicago Fire happened and took out all of his uh, money and all of his property. His family had planned a trip to Europe, um, his four daughters and his wife, and um, they were on their way there, and he had to stay back while he was dealing with those finance issues. And on their way there, the ship actually sank, killing his four daughters. Um, but his wife survived, and they met up later. It seemed like one tragedy after another was happening to this man. And, and, and not to say that, that we don't experience trials like this. Uh, maybe some of you have lost people important to you. Maybe... Some of you have gone through really tough things that I don't know about. 
But to some extent, we all experience trials, right? Um, Even if you can relate it to things in high school, right? Uh, Maybe relationships. um, Maybe you just got out of one. Or maybe the person you like just doesn't like you back. Maybe it's something um, where, where, there's social tens- where there's social tension, where um, maybe you, you feel pressured to do something. Or maybe it's at your home and it's family troubles. Maybe a parent, or maybe both, or a sibling. But something that is causing conflict in your life, and it's really easy to feel miserable and sad in those times. But we look at James and the section I just read, uh, and uh, we, we, we see what we should feel, who we should go to, and what we should know. And the first chapter, uh, which I just read pretty much the first half of, um, kind, kind of introduces a lot of themes uh, involving trials and James uh, expands on these things as we go through the book, but for now we're just looking at this section. And it's important to note that he's writing to people in, in a really sticky situation. Right, verse 1, it says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So these are, um, these are Jewish Christians. So th- these are people who follow God. But they're in a really tough situation. Most of them are deep in poverty and, uh, and are experiencing trouble with uh, money and things of that sort, and just a low social standing. There's also uh, been talk about how the surrounding areas around them were, were kind of, um, uh, they didn't have a good relation with the people surrounding them, and so there was often conflict, and it just was a really tough spot that these tribes were in. So James, through, this, for, through these 12 verses that I just read, is explain the importance of our response to trials, how we should go about when bad things happen in our lives. And so ultimately, what James is telling us through this passage is that when facing trials, we need to have full faith and assurance in God, for it is through him we receive the crown of life. And the crown of life is ultimately salvation and eternal life through Jesus and in with Jesus. So James walks us through how we can better do this, right? Um, he, he, I kind of have it split up into three sections, and they're kind of the, the three bulk paragraphs that you can see in this, uh, this section that I read. And so the first one um, it talks about the presence of joy in trials, which is a very uh, uh, almost like oxymoron type of thing that we talk about, but we talk about it a lot. So we'll get into that a bit more later. And then he, uh, he goes on to talk about the importance of faithfully faithfully seeking God's wisdom. And finally, he mentions a parable to explain the value of faith over material. But in verse 2, the first part of this section, he talks about seeing the joy in trials. So look down with me at verse 2 real quick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read these couple verses one more time. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, so he uses this word a few times. It's, a, it's steadfastness. And steadfastness is, is a really interesting word. And it's, um, I love this word, actually. In some versions, I don't know if any of you, um, I think in LEB it says endurance. And 
uh, and that can be used. I like steadfastness better. And basically what he's talking about when he says steadfastness, steadfastness is unwavering faith in Christ. And so um, one, one illustration that I thought of um, uh, with the help of Blake is, have you heard of uh, flex tape, right? <laughs> so, um, so, you know, Phil, Phil Swift, right? He's like up there doing the commercial for flex tape. He's super enthusiastic about it. He's like, got a chainsaw. He's like, he's like, I saw this boat in half. And then he's like got the flex tape. He's like flex tapes it up. And so, um, and then this flex tape, right? is steadfastly holding this boat together. It, it, it goes through the roughest conditions, right? He says it even works underwater. It, uh, um, it, when it's on, it holds on tight. He's going through these like <laughs> crocodile, alligator-infested waters in the swamp with this boat that's like sawed in half, but it's got flex tape on it, right? He can trust this flex tape. And so flex tape's strength and adhesive holds things together through the roughest conditions. So should we steadfastly cling to Jesus in the fire and the flood? James is saying that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, right? Look, um, and, and what is steadfastness? So verse four says, unless steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right, so, so uh, he, it, it's funny because, um, because James seems to reference Jesus a lot without saying his name. I remember coming up with a main point and I mentioned like that we should like look to Jesus and stuff like that. And Aaron was like, where's it say Jesus in here? And I was like, oh, you're right. That's a good point. So it, it doesn't actually say it, but, um, but Jesus is the perfect example of steadfastness and we can look to him to see that. Um, and I'll, and I'll kind of get more into that in a little bit. Um, so, Another thing I wanted to mention is there's, um, there's, trials, there's trials in our lives, right? And I, I kind of want to relate that to trials in school, right? What, what do we kind of call trials in school? Tests, right? Exams? <laughs> Math? Sure. I, I was thinking more of the specific, the, the test, right? The actual, uh, the math test, okay? But tests and exams, right? And, and similarly, um, so these, these tests come and they can be stressful and they, and they can cause some anxiety and we, we, wanna, we, we, work, we work hard through them. Um, and through these tests in school, we are tested on our knowledge that we've learned throughout the year, right? And so, um, so if you're not doing so well, you might do poorly, but if you're on top of things, you might do well. But there's a difference between tests in school and tests in our life, trials in our life, because tests in school... You can take them and you can, you can uh, be like, you know, working like hard, taking the tests, um, but they're not there to help you learn. They're not there to help you learn math better, right? They're like, you get the math test and, and you're not like, okay, so it's time to learn this, right? You should have done that a few days before or however long before, <laughs> but, um, but that's not the point of them, right? Unlike trials in our life, which are there to help us grow, and that's kind of what he's talking about when he says, um, when he says to count all joy, because he's saying that this leads to steadfastness. This leads, or this leads to our unwavering faith in Christ. And so, the more of these trials that we go through, then the closer to God we can get. And I, I also wanted to mention how in school tests, say say you have a um, an A in the class, and you get a 
you get a D on the test. You really bombed this math test. Um, and your, your grade goes down to a B minus, right? And now it's, it's there, man. Like uh, maybe you have like a nice teacher who's like, oh, you can retake or whatever, but, but your grade is there. And, and maybe you do good on the next test and it goes up to a B plus, but, but ultimately it's there. And so this is, the mo- is, is why the gospel is so encouraging is because through the death of Jesus, our sins are washed clean. That, that F or that D that we got on the test, it's gone. And so our grade overall is not lower because God sees us through the lens of Christ. And so he sees us as an A. And that doesn't change. Another thing I think of um, is Paul in prison. It's very typical, but uh, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Philippians 1. um, And at the end of verse 18, uh, Paul writes this. Yes, and I will rejoice from prison. Rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Um, this is such a good example of what James is talking about, right? Paul is in prison, and he could so easily be, be talking about how uh, like God, like literally after everything I've done for you, after all these people, after I've evangelized across this country and all these people who I've told about you, why are you just letting me rot in prison? But no, he says that this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows that this is how the gospel advances. He trusts in God's perfect plan. And I specifically want to focus on when he says, um, through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, right? Paul is seeking the wisdom of the one true king. And James talks about this in verse 5. If you look down with me, these next couple of verses, I'm going to read them. This next section, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and let it, uh, and it will be given to him, or and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So um, the first thing I want to mention is, is he says, if, you're la- if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You should immediately think this applies to you um, because uh, at some point or another, everyone here lacks wisdom. It says, let him ask God. And um, I played tennis, uh, and you can use anything for this example, but um, I remember like at first struggling with my forehand, like, kind of like trying to hit it like I started swinging at like a sword like it just felt natural I guess and I don't know it definitely didn't work so it was going like over there it's going down to the ground I could not get it to just go over the net and um and so sure I could go talk to my teammates right I could go talk to them and they could probably be like well I think you're supposed to like move it like that and like maybe like use your shoulders a little bit and hit it like that like sure um But ultimately, I think that the best advantage I have is to go to the coach directly so that he can help me. He knows knows exactly how to do it. He knows he's been doing his whole life, right? Um, Coach Click, he's great. Um, And so, right, I I don't think it's bad to to go to to brothers and sisters in Christ for advice and encouragement. Matter of fact, I preached on that a a month and a half ago. So I'm not going to say that that's a bad thing to do, but James is saying... Here, uh, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And 
I really like how he says who gives generously to all without reproach because um, it can be a an insecurity, I think, um, to uh, maybe go to God, maybe in repentance, maybe, or maybe seeking wisdom um, after a, a constant struggle, a constant sin that you've gone to him before and, and to think that the way he greets you is by saying, ah, not this again, not you again. But see, generous does not mock. And, um, and so he keeps on going and he says, um, he says, uh, without reproach and it'll be given him, but let him ask in faith, but, but can change a lot of things when, uh, when you're reading scripture, when you're reading anything, right? So say this guy comes up to you, he's like, you just won the lottery, but, uh, you got all these taxes to do. Uh, you got to give some to charity cause that's what everyone does. You got to pay off your student loans. So really you got like five bucks <laughs> or what if, what if, um, what if like, your dad comes up to me. He's like, hey, kiddo, you got on the football team. And then he's like, but I talked to the coach and uh, he said, it's just C team. And he said that you're going to be on the bench like the whole time. And you're just going to kind of watch and you're kind of going to be the water boy. Like, but can change a lot of things. But I don't want you to think that this is making this a negative thing. However, this but is very important because it's emphasizing something right after it. It says, to ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So basically he's saying to have full faith in God. James is telling us that it is foolish and foolish are we if you pray to play safe. So in essence... If you kind of um, are one of those people who goes about their life, and I think we all do this in one season or another, who goes about their life, and it's pretty great. So, you know, like, you kind of, uh, like, yeah, you'll pray maybe in the morning, like, thank you for this day. Um, but you kind of, uh, like, lose grip of it, and you kind of stop to do that, or stop doing that. And, um, uh, and then times get tough, right? And so, so you take God, you pull him out of your little box, and you're like, um, I, I don't really know if this is, uh, if like, I, I don't really know if I even believe this or what's going on. But, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and say a little prayer just in case God is real so I can get into heaven and so that my problems will go away. And James is saying that that's not how it works. You have to have full faith in Christ. You have to be without doubt. I also love how... Um, he talks about uh, uh, someone that who who pay who um, is doubting in prayer, and, and he says that that person must not uh, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, like a ship, right in the harsh seas. A double-minded man makes me think of a double agent, right? Like someone who says one thing and then goes and relays the information to completely different people, and you cannot trust them. So he's using this harsh imagery to really put his point across. And that is not what Christ did. Christ went to God faithfully and dependent. Right? He knew that this is who he would find his assurance in. 
James goes on and gives a parable to demonstrate the importance of this, finding the assurance in God. And so if you look down at verse 9, this last, um, or not last, but this, this little paragraph section I'm going to read. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, or its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of its pursuits. So there's two interpretations of this parable, actually, and it's um, a small debate, but, but basically one of the interpretations is saying that, that the lowly brother is the Christian and the rich brother is the non-Christian, and, um, and basically that the lowly brother can boast uh, about, about his exaltation in Christ and that uh, basically when the time comes and they both die, like this one doesn't get the rewards and, and it's all about, it talks about how James uses irony, but I don't think that that's what he's saying. I think that he's talking about the lowly brother and the rich brother, both being Christians. Because remember, he's talking to people who are in a tough spot and who are in poverty and struggle with money. And this is one of their biggest trials. And so he says that the lowly brother can boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. This is very common theme throughout the Bible about, um, about grass withering, right? Uh, I even think Aaron, you mentioned in, um, at the, the middle school retreat that we were on, um, I think it was Psalm 37 when it talked about this. But, but in essence, what he's saying is that it doesn't matter what you've accumulated from this world. It doesn't matter what, what riches, what fame you've gained. Because once death comes, none of that is taken to your grave. And none of that benefits you in heaven. And so if you want to think of something a little bit more applicable, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of friends in high school. It doesn't matter if you get homecoming king or queen. None of this stuff matters at all in comparison to the rewards in heaven. Right, so this, this, uh, this parable right here, if, um, if you don't really understand it or if you don't or if you weren't listening to anything that I just said about it, this is the thing that I want you to write down. It's that we need to evaluate ourselves by spiritual and not material standards. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's come back to Horatio Spafford. Um, shortly after all those bad things had happened to him, he lost his son, he lost his money, he lost his uh, four daughters. Um, he wrote something. Who knows what he wrote? Anyone? It is well. It is well. Sounds like an interesting thing for someone to write in that situation. But the first verse of that song says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So he's saying, like, in the, in the peace in the, and in the suffering, whatever I'm going through, that was taught me to say it is well with my soul. Right, this is a good example of, of having 
faith and assurance in God because he knew that ultimately through him, he would receive the crown of life. So, so he knew that he must have steadfast faith. And again, we can, we can look at, at Horatio Spafford or we could take another look at Jesus, right? Because we see him do this all the time. And one, one specific example I like to think of, um, and Adam kind of brought it to my mind, um, is, is when Jesus was in the desert clinging to scripture when Satan was trying to tempt him, right? And it's just an interesting thing to think about because no matter what Satan could offer, no matter what this world could offer to a man, he knew that that's not where salvation was. He knew that ultimately salvation was in heaven and salvation cannot be bought. And so, so we, can, we, we look at Christ, right? Kind of going through the things that we just read in James. We look at Christ, Christ who fully submitted to the Lord. Christ who, uh, he had not forgotten the joy and suffering. He had not forgotten that this brought him closer. Christ who, who when he sought wisdom, he would pray. And he never once sought after the luxuries of the world to fulfill him. And so um, if you want to turn to Revelations, um, Revelations 2.10, uh, this is, this, the book of Revelations is um, Jesus revealing uh, a prophecy to John. And, um, and in 2.10, it's, uh, it talks about trials, and it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you, people with ESV, what does it say? The crown of life. life. Be faithful and I will give you the crown of life. And so um, kind of uh, to conclude, let's look at verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I think this is funny, and I actually just thought of this because Aaron uh, and, and, and even Adam through the, um, through the middle school retreat that we just got back from, we're replacing blessed with congratulations and congratulations to the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So rejoice, seek wisdom, have faith, and understand that in doing these things, you are receiving the crown of life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these students, Lord, that... um, that we could be together as a community, Lord. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross, Lord, in order for us to be free and be clean of sin. God, I pray that through trials, though they may be plentiful and though they will come, Lord, I I thank you that um, you offer us salvation through faith in you and your son who died on the cross. 
Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in this fact. I say these things in Jesus' name, amen.